In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Lord, as we fix our attention on your true presence, savoring that prayer of St. Thomas the Apostle, my Lord and my God, we ask you to help us discern, popular word in the contemporary church, discern what it means to be a laborer in his harvest. And why do I bring this up? Because our Lord categorizes two kinds of people. One kind is the harvest. I know none of you want to be the harvest. And the other kind is the laborers. Okay? Uh, So I guess you want to be the laborer. And Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Now, what does this harvest mean? The harvest means those who desire Christ, the great majority do not know it. In what sense? Christ gives true joy. It's one of the best-kept secrets, and our job is to unveil that best-kept secret. That Jesus gives consolation. That Jesus gives hope. Everybody wants that. Jesus gives freedom. Uh, But how do we get that freedom, that joy, that peace, that truth to this vast population who, through no fault of their own, do not know that this is even a remote possibility. And I experienced that a little bit, I mean, or a lot of it, but um, thinking of a certain incident in Rome. I was in Rome during June and July uh, with a group of seminarians, and uh, I started to pontificate how well Italians drive. And there's very little margin for error, especially when you're going... 90 miles an hour around the mountains. But anyway, even in the city, there seems to be very little margin of error. People stop with uh, one, you know, one millimeter behind the car in front of them. Uh, they go around other cars, uh, you know, halfway around the sidewalk. And this other guy who didn't live in Rome, I lived in Rome, and he said, uh, you know, these guys are crazy. And I said, they're really good drivers. Okay, I shouldn't have said that because it was raining. And this cab driver was crossing a square, and a woman was crossing the square from the opposite direction, uh, and he hit her while she she was on a motorcycle and hit her, hit the motorcycle, and she went flying off the motorcycle. And um, then I went into American mode, and in not exactly Dante's Italian, I started to holler at the closest person next to me. I said, get on the phone, get that ambulance, because efficiency, at least from my perspective, always needed improvement there. So I said, and he started to get mad at me. He said, hey, take it easy. I go, listen, the woman's you know, on the ground there. 
he's, he's, and he, so uh, he rushes in there and uh, the motorcycle's on top of her. I, I don't have the, I don't want to make it worse. So then this strong guy lifts the, she's hot, screaming. And um, so I said, you know, who knows? I mean, the, you know, paganism is uh, rampant there and agnosticism, etc. So I just took my chance and she's in a lot of pain and uh, she's uh, speaking perfect Italian, but then I notice an English accent, you know, I just want to be left alone. So I, I said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you right now. And she started to thank me profusely. Thank you so much. I'm gonna, I said, I'm going to give you a blessing and things are going to be okay. And, you know, and I waited a while. Ambulances start to come and, you know, on and on and on. She survived, but I think she broke her leg. And then and there, I said, well, who knows? Uh, they say 5% of the population of the young people practice in Europe. So uh, I don't know if she's within that 5%. I have my serious doubts. But when I said, I'm going to pray for you, uh, she got uh, you know, relatively excited. Now, what must I do, I ask our Lord, to become that laborer and to lead with giving people an experience of our Lord before talking about him, that through me, you know, I think today's reading, or maybe the day before, St. Paul says, well, no, it's not today's reading. I don't want to complicate your life. It was Exodus, and you know, that was a thousand years before St. Paul. Uh, in my liturgy, the hours, you know, we're on you know, epistles of St. Paul, uh, second uh, epistle to the Corinthians. And today's reading, uh, Paul says, we are vessels of clay. But inside that vessel, uh, people want to find the peace and joy of Christ. How do I do it? Lord, tell me how to do it. All right. When we pray before the Blessed Sacrament, we literally are supposed to put words in Jesus' mouth. What words? His own words, not, you know. And so we read the gospel. And I would say this encounter is the paradigm of turning somebody into a laborer, someone who brings Christ to the harvest. Right? And it's there. And you're the one who's going to bring Christ to the harvest to other young people. Uh, grace builds on nature. As good as a 80-year-old could be, they don't want to see any 80-year-olds at your parties or at your gatherings or at your heavy conversations after hours when you should be studying. Uh, you have to be the evangelizer for other young people and other young women, in, in the case, or young men, etc. But you have to be the evangelizer. Grace builds on nature, uh, young to young, all right? Um, priests, you know, they don't count. Um, in a certain sense. Okay. This is about probably a standard conversation Jesus had with potential laborers. Right? He's looking for laborers. And he's, he wants you to be a laborer. And what do we have to do? Okay, here it goes. And he was setting out on his journey, 
Luke's gospel says he's young. A man ran up and knelt before him. In my case, I'd walk and not kneel before him. So I could see this young guy, you know, running and then getting in front of him and kneeling in front of him. And he said, good teacher. He was an American because he's very pragmatic. What must I do? I don't want a lecture. Don't give me a lecture. I, just in three lines or less, what must I do to be a laborer? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life is a very loaded word. Eternal life means holiness. Whole, uh, eternal life is Christ himself. Christ will define himself at the end of the Gospel of St. John as eternal life. It's the first time he would do it. And that's what a laborer is. A laborer is someone who shares in a more intense way in the life of Jesus. And what's expressed in the life of Jesus is his affection, his kindness, his joy, his wisdom. All right, so the young man wants to know, what must I do to reflect eternal life? Because Jesus is eternal life. Okay, well, he gives him three steps to become a laborer. First step is a consideration that comes across superficially as almost a throwaway phrase. Second step is clean up your act. And third step is radical love. You need all three. And it sounds like a throwaway phrase, but it's a key phrase because part of my discipleship is to prove to others this phrase. All right, here it goes. Why do you call me good, Jesus says to the kid. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Another gospel says only God is good. Now, if I detain myself on this phrase of Jesus, from a certain perspective, it doesn't seem to be true. I know, and I'm not here to flatter you, I know I have a wonderful group in front of me. After a hard day's work, they come and listen to a meditation. So you're a bunch of nice kids. Um, so why does he say, oh, I'm, you know, God, I know you're good, but, you know, please, you know, they're good too. You know, that's not taking anything away from you. Um, you've probably had a good meal, you know. Oh, that's good. You've made good friends. You have some good talent. You've read a good book. You've, went to a, you, you've gone to a good party. Uh, it's drier out, 78 degrees, the sun comes out. That's good, okay? A little cool air blowing off the lake. That's not what he means. I mean, and, and the Lord will tell us, listen, don't insult my intelligence. I know that. You know, I'm not saying, what, I, what I'm saying is everything is overrated except for me. I mean, it's one of the perks of being God. You're not overrated. As Thomas Aquinas will say, God is the only universal good, which means it's a good, it's the only good that could satisfy the human heart. And I think right now, you do your thing, 
But I think we need to tell the Lord who is presiding over this time of prayer, Lord, help me believe that. That the ultimate, that the good that is going to define my happiness is you. Now, you know, the standard great scenario, you know, and and fine, you want to aspire to that a little bit, do it, but do it with temperance and do it with prudence and keep the expectations moderate. I've seen it, you know. Over the years, I've given lots of pre-cana and I've tried to pass the buck sometimes. Well, you got in the Paris, so you don't have to see me. No, we want to see you too. And, you know, the guy wants to show off the girl or the girl wants to show off the guy, etc. And they say they want pre-canum. And I've been through the drill. And it's part of God's plan. You know, there's a lot of gaga over each other. Okay? Madly in love. Uh, sometimes, you know... Uh, and you don't want to call a person a specimen, but I'm making a point, so don't give, me, don't give me dirty looks, all right? I'm making a point more than, but you see two perfect specimens, all right? You know, very you know, good looking, very talented, very spiritual. You know, they got their act together. They, they're good friends, they like each other. And plagiarizing a book I read, you know, I said, well, listen, don't turn her into a goddess and don't turn him into a god. And what do you mean by that? He can't give you only what God can give you. And she can't give you what only God can give you. Lower your expectations. They don't believe it because of you know, the intense emotional bond. But they start to believe it after the I do. Okay, And little by little, they start to believe it. In a year and a half, they say, you're right. All right. What, what our Lord is telling, now why is he saying this to this guy? that only God could fill you, because he's going to ask him for everything. There's a reason for that. He's not just giving a, you know, a, a speculative theolo theological consideration to this guy, because he's going to ask for him. He's going to say, listen, I want you to be completely centered on me. That's what he's, you know, just to fast forward a little bit, give you a sneak preview. And so I need to believe, to believe that, that my happiness cannot be defined by my talents, by my experiences, by my health, by my appearance, by my relationships, or a good catch, as they say. These things are good. Everything that comes from God is good. But they're not only, the only good is God in the sense that only God could fill you up. And I don't want this to happen and just by way of example, uh, one of the seminarians on my Rome trip, his um, grandfather was a colonel in the South Vietnamese army. And he was captured. And uh, he spent 13 years in prison, a number of years in solitary. And in his grandfather, spent time in the same prison as this Vietnamese cardinal who's now passed away and his canonization causes opened. And he used to work, he was exiled after he spent 13 years in prison. He was exiled from the country and worked in the Vatican. And he gave a retreat to St. John Paul in the Jubilee year. 
the new millennium, year 2000. This is germane to only God is good. And it's called Testimony to Hope. And it's a series of meditations he gave to John Paul. And he begins by saying that he was the most famous prelate in Vietnam before the fall of Saigon, which is now Ho Chi Minh City. And he said he wrote, he's written books, and he was rector of a couple of seminaries, enrollment went up, he would run around the world giving talks. You know, he was the spokesman for the church in Vietnam. And then, you know, he's arrested, and he's not given much food. He's, he's just a number. He's put in solitary. Uh, he's uh, suffering all sorts of indignities, and uh, he's pretty darn depressed. It's in the book. And then he starts to realize, you know, I've talked a lot about God. I've given theology courses. I've led the church. But I haven't talked enough to God. And believe it or not, I mean, you read the book. He, he started to really transform and experience. I, I would wish this for my worst enemy. But he started, he had nothing, completely nothing. He was stripped of everything all these partial goods that perhaps he hung his hat on, who knows? And he realized that, you know, Christ, only Christ could fill you. And, you know, God in his infinite providence, there was some, they smuggled in wine and bread, but, you know, not, not gallons. He would say mass, you know, you know, in tatters on his, you know, bunk, whatever you call it, I wouldn't even call it a bed, and he'd put a couple drops of wine in his palm of his hand. And he'd consecrate the precious blood that way. And that would keep him going. And so I, I need to believe that, Lord, uh, that you're the one who fills me. And I don't understand the cross. I mean, it's revealed. It's a mystery. It's not a total mystery. But when things don't go well for me, it's kind of a, an invitation to regroup my mind and heart and start to believe that only God could fill me and he will fill me. So that's, that's number one. So that's what he tells the young man. And it's very providential because he's a rich young man and in the Old Testament, if you're rich, it's a sign of God's blessing in the Old Testament. And so, you know, he's, he's, he plays golf. He's a good golfer. You know, uh, you know, the... The young ladies like him he's, because he's a gentleman, he's good-looking, he's smart, you know, he's got money, he owns a couple of camels, you know, he's uh, all those kinds of things. He eats lamb more often than most people, etc. Uh, teacher's pet, orthodox, pro-life, devoted to Mary, and especially in the month of May. Mass during the week during Lent gives up ice cream, gives up Facebook. He's just a good kid. And, and Jesus says, I want this guy. You know. And Jesus realizes that he's got a motley crew. You know. His first pope is going to deny him. That's not exactly being off to a good start. And that same pope is going to cut someone's ear off. It you know, doesn't seem very papal. And, uh, you know, Matthew, he may be an alcoholic for all I know. And... Um, he was into organized crime. That's what a publican was. 
And so, you know, he didn't have anybody else. So he just did the best he could. He, he lost one of them. Um, John, who's, you know, so lovey-dovey in the gospel and in his epistle, very lovey-dovey, you know, new commandment and love one another and love one another. He's the only one who asked Jesus to burn down a town in Samaria. He says, raise it, destroy it. Lord, you can do it, you're God. You can calm storms, why can't you destroy this town? After all, it's populated by Samaritan, and we can't stand them. So, so that's kind of the motley crew he had. And so Jesus goes, okay, I, you heard that. Now, number two, uh, you want to have life keep the commandments. Which ones? Well, the Ten Commandments. And he goes through all the Ten Commandments. Now, why does he go through the commandments? Because of the third request. I can't, and I gotta take this holiness stuff step by step and this labor thing step by step. Nobody's lily white, okay? No one lives the commandments totally. It's virtually impossible, okay? But we could turn the corner. I mean, if we're wedded to anger, I can't give myself yet because I'm not free enough to give myself because I'm kind of possessed by my anger. Or if, I, if my pride is out of control and there's you know, just too much arrogance and too much vanity or too much self-absorption, I can't give myself yet. I gotta, I gotta solve that. Or I got some serious resentments and those, those resentments are occupying my mind and heart. Well, I gotta address that. So the purpose of the commandments, especially when it comes to being a laborer, is to quote St. John Paul, to control myself, to, have, to, uh, to experience self-mastery, and to own myself. That no, my lust doesn't own me, my anger doesn't own me, my greed doesn't own me. I own myself. I got some of those issues, but more or less I'm turning the corner. Now I could exercise another gift, another law, which is the law of total self-giving. And here's the third one. All right. So he goes through the commandments. You know, I don't want to be judgmental but very few have turned the corner on the commandments, okay? You know, unless you're a pretty serious Jew or a serious Christian, uh, improvements needed with the commandments. Well, anyway, this guy lives them all. It's not bad. He's even chaste. It's pretty good, okay? I mean, relatively speaking, he's off the charts. He's going to mass. He's a good kid. He loves his parents. He loves neighbor himself. He's generous with homeless people. I mean, he's really, he's a good kid. So here goes. Teacher, all these, you know the commandments, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to them, teacher, all these I've observed from my youth. My confessions are really quick, real quick. Priest doesn't know what to tell me. All these I've observed since my youth. And Jesus said, wow, I am impressed. I mean, this is not the case with these 12 here, that's for sure. You know, they're still at the level of the commandments. I mean, issues, resentments, a lot of pride, you know, self-indulgence. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Probably the kids say, you're kidding. You know. I'm orthodox. I live the commandments. I'm president of the pro-life club. I'm a gentleman on a date. Uh, the worst word, you know, sometimes I say rats or oh shucks. 
come on, what do you mean I lack something? I mean, how many guys do you know have my track record? And Jesus probably said, not too many, but you still lack something. What is it? You lack one thing. Go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. No, that's, I'm, I'm almost done my meditation, but this should have been the whole meditation. So anyway, you're off the hook. Now this really unlocks the secret of being a laborer. And he doesn't say, well, you know, you, this is for a select crew. Select crew. You want to be a laborer, you've got to put me first and lay down your life for me. Totally. And the apostles get mad at him because they lost, he lost the kid. He didn't say, hey, hey, hey Seth, come back here. Um, you know, we, we could do this in installments. You know, don't, don't take me literally. You know, I'm not, I'm, I don't mean you're going to pitch a tent in your, in your sandbox in the back of your house. I'm not saying you have to sell your donkeys and your camels and your golf clubs. No, no, come on, let, let me explain a little bit more. No, he cut them loose. And the apostles are, you know, we don't have time, but they're royally ticked. Because they know they're a motley crew too. And they say, oh, this guy's pretty good. Now, now we have somebody who's halfway select you lack one thing go sell what you have and give to the poor who are the poor the harvest is poor when someone doesn't know the moral law especially when they think they're right and the standards of morality are wrong they're poor very poor and they're leaving they're losing their freedom at the speed of light that's the harvest Yes, people are look, looking for that good news of great joy. And to do that, I've got to put them first. Why is that? Because the human heart can only have one ultimate good, only one passion. And at least we, I, I think we could begin with at least a desire, Lord, you know, I'm not there yet, but I'm not going to run away either. I'm willing, I'm willing to do this. Now, this doesn't mean join anything. This, I, I don't mean specific calling. I think every, all of us, by virtue of our baptism. And then I could give to the poor, and we know he can't give to the poor. This is very enlightening here. At the saying, his countenance fell, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So you can't evangelize if you're sorrowful. St. Josemaria, in his Spanish, no-nonsense way, says the father. Why don't you give yourself to God once and for all, really now? If you see, here, here's the no nonsense. If you see your way clearly, follow it. Why don't you shake off the cowardice that holds you back? Last, go preach the gospel, I will be with you. Jesus has said this, and he has said it to you. And I think what we want, and we've got to work at it, you're not going to decide in the last 10 seconds of the meditation. But Lord, no, I'm, I'm willing to play ball. I do want to sell all that I have. And I do want to give to the poor. Uh, what steps should I take to head to fulfill that vision? Yes, it's the plan of life. Yes, it's, it's, it's relationships. Yes, it's putting others first. But, you know, we got to, each one is personal and we got to discern what it is. And so we put these good 
sentiments in the hands of Our Lady, and she leads the charge because Act One is this teenage girl who brings the Son of God into the world. Yes, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, but in concert with this girl's yes. Only when she gives that generous yes that the Son of God who transcends the universe comes into our world through the vehicle of this teenage girl who says yes. Mary, pray for us so that we say yes as well. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for